and welcome to a brand new episode, episode four of the Young Lion cast. I am joined by Chris. How are you, Chris? Fine. Um, a few weeks ago, I saw someone on the train offer a blowjob for a ticket and then turn up the ticket guy was gay, um, was gay so it didn't go through. That was fun. Did she get a ticket for tenacity? No, um, she was um, she was told she would just have to buy one when she gets to Waverley, because otherwise she wouldn't be able to get through the barriers. The desperation when you are willing to give someone you don't know a blowjob because you haven't got a ticket. That's sad, that is. That's that's a bad day. At the, at the what office. made it worse is that I audibly laughed and she was giving me evils for the rest of the... How can she give you evil? She's just offered to suck a man's knob for a train ticket. I'm very slightly regretting not wearing headphones right now. <laughs> I re- Right, just for those who don't know, by the way, uh, Chris's nan is currently in Chris's house. And now that I know he's not wearing headphones, I am going to do every single possible thing I can to make his nan come upstairs and go, What's that noise, Christopher? She doesn't call me Christopher. Come on. No one calls me Christopher. <laughs> I am now going to call you Christopher. <laughs> you can't. Um, in the lieu of the fact that we are currently in the lull between King of Pro Wrestling, the show we reviewed um, on episode three, which of course you can find in the archives, and Power Struggle, which will be taking place on November the 3rd, which we will review obviously on that Wednesday, uh, we have got another one of our shows where we look back at three wrestling matches from Japan and basically review them um, again at the start of our little run with the Young Lion cast, I stress that, you know, since basically I've been watching New Japan Pro Wrestling since Wrestle Kingdom 11, as I imagine a lot of a Western audience were, but I've wanted to get more integrated into more Japanese matches, you know, from all Japan now with stardom. And basically, we've done that by picking two New Japan matches. Uh- right. <laughs> I... Right, so I give Rob a choice of like seven or eight matches to pick from, and I, I throw in some familiarity there so he can pick one, but like he'll he'll know what's going on. No, this time he just went completely safe, and then just pick, also picked Meltzer's of six star match because he's a, a mark. Like fuck's sake, Rob, I'm trying to get you to expand your horizons, and you don't pick the Joshi match. God damn it! <laughs> uh, yeah, so basically what has happened is the three matches that I picked. Um, was Melter's Splooge Fest, uh, otherwise known as Misawa versus Kawada from Budokan in 1994, June 3rd, the infamous six-star match, the first to officially break Melter's scale. Um, we then move on to King of Pro Wrestling 2012, uh, with the main event, the IWGP heavyweight title match between Hiroshi Tanahashi, the champion, and Minoru Suzuki. And then we go a little bit more, like, sort of left field, I suppose. Uh, we go back to the G1 Climax 24 back in 2014 with a night seven block B match between the eight IWGP heavyweight champion AJ Styles and Minoru Suzuki. This needs to be a theme developing here. You say it's out left field, but it was voted as the Observer Match of the Year. So It was, and I got lost a little bit down the rabbit hole with this match, and I'll sort of explain why um, as we get there. But first, Chris, there's a little bit of news, and by a little bit, I mean a massive, massive news. Okay? Are you ready yeah. for this? Well, I already know what it is. I've been ready for like a week now. <laughs> yeah, anyone that follows uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling at the moment will know that a brand new company has been, or a US-based subsidiary as it's been announced, based out of California, has been announced by New Japan Pro Wrestling, officially called New Japan Pro Wrestling of America, which will launch operations in November this year. Now, basically, from what we understand, this st- the establishment of this is basically they are creating a company in the United States. And this will run a semi-regular touring schedule similar to that of New Japan in Japan. And this will cover five key areas. The five key areas that they've highlighted is the West of America, which will be six cities across four states. Uh, the middle of America, or the mid-states, which is seven cities across six states. Texas, which is just four cities. Uh, the southeast, which is six cities across four states. 
and then the east, which will be four cities across three states, which if I'm pushed, I imagine will be the three or the four, three states, sorry, and three of the four states that they ran for the Fighting Spirit Unleashed Tour, so New York, um, Philadelphia, and Boston, I imagine. Um, they also released the logo, which to my recollection, that logo has been going around for months and months and months. It's literally just the New Japan logo with an American flag painted over the top of the lion. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the poster of, I think it's Extreme Rules 2014 or 2015, where John Cena's got the American flag painted on his face. It literally just looks like that. What a weird thing to bring up. <laughs> For those who know, you'll 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 see the parallel. Um, just a little bit more. Um, they described the opening of offices in the United States basically as the third phase in expanding their promotion overseas. Now, the first phase was the opening of the LA Dojo and discovering new wrestlers there. Phase two has been to run the actual events in the US. Um, obviously, you've had the G1 Supercard and the G1 opener in Dallas this year. Uh, and basically, they want... They wanted to run independently and with a small amount of assistance from other promotions. So, of course, they ran Dallas uh, independently and they ran Madison Square Garden with the assistance of Ring of Honor. And this, of course, is going to be phase three, establishing a company within the US. And basically it's been, and I quote, it's going to be ingrained in the everyday fabric when it comes to fans wrestling consciousness. Now, New Japan also released quotes from their press conference with the New Japan Pro Wrestling of America CEO Takami Abari fielding a few questions. But before I get to that, Chris, what do you think of this? If this launched in 2017, I feel it would be super hype. However, <laughs> we now have AEW, which is filling a very similar niche. There's less, there's less of a market share for it now. And, like, we've seen a lot of wrestling companies sort of lose attendance. Like, Ring of Honor's definitely lost attendance. To be fair, part of it's Matt Taven. He's basically Baron Corbin of the Ring of Honor. But, I don't know. Like, it's, I, I'm, I watch it, like, because I watch New Japan anyway. But it's probably going to be, like, I already skip a lot of New Japan's calendar to begin with. And, honestly, it depends how they integrate other stars. Like, who they bring over, who they have. If they are going to have to bring over some of the Japanese stars, if we don't have some of them, like, it's going to just be a bit shit. Like, not that there's not um, some amazing talent on the American Indies, of course. There's loads and loads and loads, probably some loads we haven't even heard of. But at the same time, people aren't going to New Japan to see a Jonathan Gresham or a Brody King as good as we are. They're going there to see basically anyone but. So. Yeah, you're going to see a card. You're going to see Naruto. You're going to see Tanahashi. And... From what I've seen, especially, you know, in the fledgling days of this company, the tours and the shows are going to be in lulls in the Japanese calendar. Now, are they doing that because they want to give the stars a rest? I mean, you look at the schedule, you look at the G1 and things like that, and, you know, World Tag League, you know, God forbid, and the best of Super Juniors, these these people need rests. And if you're at, if you're the IWGP heavyweight champion, you know, whether whoever that is after Wrestle Kingdom 14 they don't seem to get that big, big break apart from maybe the best of the super juniors. And to then say, right, you're going over to America to do even more shows, then, you know, you, you're going to risk burnout. However, on the other side of that, you are absolutely right. I don't tune into New Japan to see a tag match between the Kingdom and LIJ as the main event. Now, I understand that this is a completely separate company from Ring of Honor and whatever, but you look at the shows, the Frighting Spirit Unleashed shows that we mentioned earlier. Was there... Were there any main events, really, that were worth watching? No, but like that's the case with a lot of... That's one was just going in it, Frighting Spirit Unleashed. Yes, the ones in New York, Philadelphia, and LOL. <sighs> No, not really. Like honestly, the only reason I want I want to tune into one of them is because I want to because I've heard the new um, York crowd is for, completely unforgiven. But for the most part, they're like tag matches to sort of the house shows basically that weren't never meant to really be consumed, but they were consumed anyway. Yeah. Well, let me give you the released quotes from the press conference, and then we'll 
talk about that. We'll digest it a little bit. So they asked, they asked Abari, can you give any details with regards to television rights? Obviously, this has been talked about since Impacts and Anaheim, specifically their purchase of Access TV, obviously with the less than stellar relationship between Impact and New Japan. Um, Abari answered, up to now, we've been working very well with our partners at Access TV and plan to continue doing so. As events increase in number in the US, we would like to be able to make more opportunities for fans to watch those events live and in real time on TV. And those are opportunities we're excited to discuss with TV partners going forward. So basically what I'm getting from that is, and tell me if I'm wrong, Chris, is that at the moment we're working with Access TV, but good God, we're entertaining other options. <laughs> yeah, they probably have a contract with Access TV that they can't just pull out of. I imagine so. I imagine so. But, I mean, you look at the American shows this year. What have they done this year? They've done Fighting Spirit Unleashed. And we did this in the last podcast, but they've done Fighting Spirit Unleashed. They've done the New Beginning Tour in the USA, the Super J Cup, and they've, they are doing the um, Super Showdown shows in the middle of next month. As far as I'm aware, not one of those aired live on New Japan World. No, I think a lot. Of, some of them are fighting. But to be fair, a lot of the crew, for Fighting Spirit and um, not Fighting for um, New Beginning, a lot of the crew weren't actually there. So like that's fair that they weren't streaming. But also, also I, don't, I doubt anyone would have tuned into those shows. Even so you have a streaming service, why are you not? Especially if you were setting up a company in the USA and you were absolutely right, had this opened in 2017, we'd have been a lot more hyped for it because obviously at that point they would have had Omega, they would have had the books, um, they would have had those those big American names, which at the moment we are slightly lacking in uh, because in 2017, obviously we had Omega as the US champ and no disrespect to Lance Archer, who I love, and anyone who's listened to this podcast will know I love, but a Kenny Omega, he is not. No. Also, like, even a loss of Cody is a big thing. Like, Cody was probably going to be, like, the centerpiece of that. Yeah, much as he divides opinion amongst amongst a lot of wrestling fans, he is a big draw in the United States. And much as people look back on his Japan run and a lot of people see it as basically a vehicle for AEW, which... I think is slightly unfair, but towards the end it absolutely was. Um, I point you to Wrestle Kingdom 13. Um, never let that go. No, I won't. I'll never let that is go. the year that Cody juice one just because of what it represents? Um, it hasn't read my year. It's it's It was the worst match on the card, which didn't help. And I know it's Cody from- was working with an injury, but that's beside the yeah, point. No, Agonishi and Yoshihashi happened. Oh yeah, the New Japan Cup match, that was fucking terrible, that was. Jesus Christ. And I was very tempted to go minus with that one, but then The Fiend versus Rollins happened, Jesus Christ. Um, but yeah, like like I was saying, I mean, I, I don't know, I, I feel they need to get some way of streaming live. It, it, it doesn't seem right. If you have got a streaming service to then wait three, four days, because if you are asking people now, to buy them on fight, they won't do it. Oh, absolutely. I'm not paying 40 quid for Royal Quest. Exactly. Exactly. You look at the absolute fucking state of Royal Quest. How can you expect people to pay £40 for a show? It was super weird, because, like, um, I was actually quite hyped for Royal Quest, because, you know, Suzuki and Okada are always a good time, and it was a good time. But, um, I... I was already paying for New Japan World. I felt a bit betrayed having um, being expected to pay an extra 40 quid for it, especially on a day where there was two other shows to worry about. One of which I'd bought on World, on Fight TV. Yeah, and the other one of which was already on the network. And most wrestling fans, as much as we want to pretend we don't have it, don't have the network. I mean, I currently don't have the network because Jesus Christ, the state of that fucking app. <laughs> Yes, uh, we we know all about your uh, your issues with that app. Um, changing tack a little bit now. So the next question was the three questions that they've they've listed here are what are your plans in terms of scale of events? And Abari answers: We're currently running and looking at venues in the two thousand seat range. That may be lower depending on circumstances. We are a live event company, and the first priority of a live event company is to run in more venues. 
once people are in those venues, then we can fire them up and have them ready to spread the word to larger and larger audiences. First, though, it's about growing the number rather than the size of venues. The long-term plan will absolutely be to run big venues on a regular basis. What do you think of that? I think they're good being realistic for what we can run. Um, I think 2,000 actually might be a bit high. Like I'm, I'm expecting them to draw maybe Ring of Honor numbers, maybe. I'm like 2,000 is sort of high end for Ring of Honor. I agree with you. I don't know if you've seen any of the uh, Super J Cup 2019, but one of the oh. nights, and I can't remember one which night one it was. Where it was like half empty. That's what I mean. And that card had, you know, Osprey, Phantasmo, Ishimori, you know. We didn't, didn't promote the J Cup too well. I'm, I'm imagining they'll get, they're going to go hard at promoting this until it becomes a bit more viable. You would assume so. You I would don't assume feel... also when you see the state of their current, of their next US shows, which I don't think has anything announced yet. Uh, nothing. But you can't announce things for those shows until Power Struggle's finished. Yeah. Which, unfortunately, leaves six days. Between the you and then you you can't say well ticket sales have been bad yeah well that's because you haven't announced anything because you're intercontinental and you never open weight championship matches you're not gonna have an IWGP heavyweight championship match because you've just signed Ibushi and Okada to the first night at Wrestle Kingdom you know it, what are we gonna have I mean we can't even get away with having the Golden Lovers taking on the Young Bucks you know and just sticking that in the main event because you know young bucks and golden lovers you haven't you haven't got that anymore you know what are we going to have god versus evil and sonata god no not again god but, versus the kingdom oh god um i think you're right with the 2000 seat range I think it is a touch high especially to start off with but it, you know they do they do note the fact that this is you know a little bit high and it may be lower depending on circumstances um I think if they put on good shows, they continually put out a good product and they put out wrestlers that people want to see. And I think that's really, really important. You can't just have a match full of tag matches. You need the United States Championship. That's that's what this title was made for. That's the whole reason we had this tournament. You know, you can have never open weight defenses in America. You can, um, you can have junior, junior heavyweight championship matches can headline a show over there. Yeah. Is, um, but there's a lot less of a stigma about that in America because junior wrestling is basically the style. So. It's basically the American Indies, absolutely. Um, you, the chance of you getting a heavyweight championship defense is little to none. Yeah, um, maybe once a year. But my thing is also with this: like, are they going to have their own tournaments? Because, like, I'm not being funny. I can't handle another round robin. No, I I think that will be that would be overkill when you think we've got the G one and this is just their tournaments, not not ones that I've watched. So I've watched this far. This year alone we have um Tag League, J Cup, Super G one, New Japan Cup, and I know I'm missing one, but I'm already up to five. Uh, hang on, Super Junior Tag League, best of Super Juniors, Super J Cup. So that's six. It's it's a lot of tournaments. To then That's have what... ones in America as well, especially if it's a round robin like the G1 or the best of Super Juniors, it's just not feasible. No. <laughs> and also, like, it's, I'm, I'm not one of those people, but if you're one of those people who exclusively watches Japanese wrestling, you also have, like, the NOAA Junior League, their N1, um, the Champions Carnival in all Japan, um, the Five Star Grand Prix in Stardom. You know, there's just uh, too many tournaments going on. There is, and don't get me wrong, I love me some tournaments, and this year's G1, for me, went by in a heartbeat. It was it was a really, really good tournament, but, you know, do I want that three or four times a year? God, no, my head'll hurt. Um, I don't know. I mean, as for the events, and I've mentioned this earlier on, the third question, the final question was, do you have plans for a certain number of events per year in the US and Obari has answered this is something that I'm discussing with Chairman Sugabayashi but with 12 to 13 events running the calendar year 2019 I think we could be in the region of double that next year so that is 26 events that's basically an event every two weeks that's not awful it's not especially if they're going to be doing 
you know, they're going to be mirroring the New Japan model. So touring it and, you know, having, I don't know, say they do, I don't know, let's say a new beginning, for example, and do three road to beginning, new beginning shows and then one new beginning in Texas show or something like that. That's not too bad. That's fine. You don't get overkill then. But I don't know. I just think it's a lot of wrestling, a lot of wrestling and New Japan's history of promoting stuff in America, especially this year, is it's not exactly great. It's definitely went downhill. Like we really should have struck from behind the top, but then infrastructure probably wasn't there. I think there's been a couple of things. I, th- I think overall the expansion's been okay. Um, mm-hmm. I think you know if you were giving it a mark out of ten, I'd probably give it a six. Maybe it's um, that. Yeah, but so like, it could have yeah, been so much more. Then you look at, I think we've been very over-ambitious sometimes. We saw that Madison Square Garden on Mania weekend and then assumed they could do it again on a non-wrestling weekend over in, on the other side of the country where it's a bit less of a, like it's much harder to get places in California than it is in New York. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I also think, going back to my previous point, they've got to change the way they book things. They cannot expect people to buy things on the name alone repeatedly when you are not getting a card for, you know, until six days before the event. It it just if, can't happen. If it's their own separate brand, I doubt they'll do that. Like if it's their own separate brand, I'm sure they'll have their own team, their own little roster that they'll run. They're only running a show every two weeks. They don't need a massive roster. I mean, Stardom get away, like I hate to bring up, but like as an example, Stardom only gets away with like 30 wrestlers and then like we bring on a couple guests every tour. We will wait and see. Uh, yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. It's exciting news, and good God, it's so exciting to be a wrestling fan at the moment um, with everything that's coming on. We scrutinise it, but like at the end of the day, if it's more good wrestling, everyone wants. Exactly. Exactly. We're we're merely scrutinising. We're silly picking it apart because you know we we're... want them to succeed. Good God, I want them to succeed. And I just feel like they're year with the American expansion and with certain shows, not all the shows, the G1 Supercard was fantastic. Um, but you look at the advertising, for example, for the G1 Climax show. Okay, the Royal Quest show sold out in, you know, God knows how long um, or did extremely good numbers. Um, but the G1 Climax show in Dallas, because it wasn't very well advertised, because there wasn't any names announced you'd got little to nothing or very, very few tickets sold for a very long time. So I just, I'm just conscious, that's all. Yeah. Shall we get into our matches then, Chris? Our three matches. We um, probably should put a time limit on this. Maybe we should. Um, I'm going to start with the match that I've watched most recently. And basically, good God. Um <laughs> We're talking about the All Japan Pro Wrestling Super Power Series 1994 match. uh, Night 16 from the 3rd of June 1994 from the Budokan in Tokyo, Japan. We are, of course, referring to the main event, the Triple Crown Championship match with Misawa. I said that very strangely then. Misawa, the champion, defeating... I thought you were about to say Misawa-san. I'm like, oh, fuck. (laughs) Uh, Misawa, the champion, defeating Kawada in 35 minutes and 50 seconds with did, possibly the most disgusting-looking Tiger Driver I've ever seen. You Holy pulled out fuck, Chris. It's of the Tiger Driver 91. The Tiger Driver 91, yeah. Jesus Christ, man. Right, I, plus I do really enjoy how you didn't even bother to try and do that first name. You're like, nah. I'm out. Oh no, it's I just assumed. I'm sorry, Mizuhara Misawa and Toshiaki Kawada. Happy? <laughs> I'm never happy. I know. So <laughs> I mean this match is famous, obviously, as the match that Meltzer broke his scale for six stars. And to my knowledge, it is the first match to ever break that scale. Now I came into this match with a little bit of apprehension. Um, I'd heard how good this match was, and I thought, six stars, really, for a match from 1994? Am I going to be a little bit disappointed? And no, I'm really, really happy, but no. There wasn't any ridiculously over-the-top high spots. 
there wasn't anyone coming over the top rope, you know, doing planches and, you know, topes and things like that. Possibly the highest risk move, especially early on, was as Masawa came off the ring apron and Kawada took him out of the air with this elbow that echoed around the arena. Some of, some of that was pretty fucking disgusting. I think we can safely establish that Kawada is, what's the word? A twat is the word <laughs> I'm looking for. The man... He, he used to be a good boy. Honestly, the man is vicious. The man is... I mean, early on in the match, and I'm talking, what, four or five minutes? Misawa's ear is pissing blood. Not from a cut on it, it's pissing from inside his ear. Chris, I don't know if you've ever had your ear bleeding. I know I haven't, because I'm not an absolute maniac, but <laughs> it added to the match. Oh, mate, wait until you see me Akira Tawe, um, um, Kawada match. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, you've got... Two completely different methods. You've got Misawa working from underneath. Because at this point, at the start of this match, he's on top. Okay, he's showing off. He's beaten Kawada before, twice before, in fact, in this tower reign. He's, he's, he's had this title he, he, felt. He flips over the ropes and doesn't dive on him. Because, you know, he can get away with that. Exactly. He's almost arrogant with it. And he's had this championship now for 18 months. And he's beaten Kawada twice. However, Kawada has just beat has just won the championship carnival or the champions carnival. Sorry, championship carnival, um, which is something that Masawa hadn't done to that point. Um, but there was still there was an air in that arena that Kawada could win the belt. Yeah, he was a legitimate contender in this match, and I think that it's always more of a dramatic match if you don't know who wins. It's just wrestling 101. I mean, me and you talked last week about the main event between Sonata and Okada, and I got caught up in the post-match with Sonata finally showing that emotion and crying, and I get perhaps... Perhaps I exaggerated the mark we gave it. That's absolutely fine. But he... And... But I think that match suffered from the fact that there was not a Cat in Hell's chance that Sonata was winning. Yeah, that's this, sort of the problem with um, New Japan's overall booking, it can be very obvious on especially B-shows who's going to win. Exactly. However, this, I mean, especially that final few minutes, just that brutality in the strikes, just you you had no idea who is going to win. Those fucking elbows. Oh my god, the elbows. Oh my god, the elbows. Well, I do like even in this match. So it's quite a long match. It goes it goes close to forty minutes. It does. And um, but what's wrestled? But even the wrestled felt like people were popping for him because they could win. Like Kawada, you felt like Kawada or Masao would win on one of these sleepers. Like any, literally anything could have beaten him. Like because King's Road's one of those things where you. And I know, especially like Gaff didn't approve of like finisher kickouts, but the way the King George style does it is quite good. Where like any of these moves can win a match, but they're not, they're not set in stone finishes. And like big guy, like big guys like Masawa and Kubashi will have like these super moves, which we saw at the end of this match, where like but no one kicks out of them. No, I agree. Um... I don't think the fact that uh, Masawa kicked out of like the jackknife powerbomb and the fact that Kawada kicked out of the Tiger suplex, I don't think that took away from the match. I mean, if anything, it told a story because Kawada had been put away twice with the Tiger suplex, and the fact that he kicked out of it added that another another layer to the match to say, "Fucking hell, he's going to do it finally." He did research. I'm so proud of you. Honestly, I've, I loved this match. It was, it this, was such. It was, it was. Do you see why I rave about this period of wrestling? Now, this, this is my. You know, this is my jam. Yeah. No. Like what? Two big men be knocking lumps at each other. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, um, that's what this period was, and just. Uh, do you like how we do? Even like, for example, Masala's frog splash isn't pretty, but it still looks like it hurts. It's gritty as fuck. I mean, at one point, and yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Kawada came off the top rope to hit a knee drop because 
Misawa is obviously targeting Kawada's knee, and Kawada, by the way, possibly the greatest selling of a knee injury ever. Oh, okay, amazing. I'm just putting that out there. Um, and then you've got Kawada just... Once he realised Masawa's ear is bleeding, and obviously that can't be a work, obviously, because how would you know that you're going to burst your eardrum, which is apparently what happened. Um, Kawada is then just attacking the ear and the neck and the head of Masawa. And it just, you've got that, le- I just loved it. But this knee drop that Kawada had and came off the top rope with landed straight. I don't know whether it was just the shoulder or the neck, but... Oh, it looked horrendous. The thing about this match, nothing, like, one move didn't flow into another. There'd be a move and there'd be a down period of maybe, like, 30 seconds and then another move would happen. But, like, you, you were so caught up in it, but, like, that you weren't looking for fluidity. It's like, um, for... I, I was about to say last Japanese fans, because, but, like, this is a Japanese wrestling podcast, so what the fuck would you be doing here? But, like, the Cody-Dustin match from um, Double or Nothing where there'd be long periods of, well, nothing, but that added to the drama of the match. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is a very different um, best match of all time than Kenny versus Okada. Actually, this basically had none of the problems brought up from Kenny versus Okada match. Was like, oh, it's all too fast, and the beginning doesn't mean anything. Because even the beginning, stuff set up at the beginning would play into the entire match. So Yeah, exactly. Um, just, just a great Great match. It's beautiful in its brutality because, again, Kawada just beats the ever-loving shit out of Misawa and still couldn't get the job done. Misawa took so much punishment. And I loved what you said earlier, Chris, before we move on because I am conscious of how much time we spend on each matches in these. Um, I'm, I loved how the start of this match, they just they fed on sort of the the atmosphere and they didn't I don't think they locked up for the first what 35 40 seconds they just sort of it was like a proper Hogan rock moment it's like why I'd sort of laugh at people when we go there's no pageantry in Japan it's like well Masao and Kawada basically just looked at each other lovingly for 45 seconds I don't think Kawada's (laughs) ever looked at anything lovingly Chris Good point, but you have talked about how he abused Tai Chi on commentary, so <laughs> Um It's it's quite it's quite sad in a way that all Japan, which was possibly the hottest wrestling ticket in the world in the early you know, in that period, ninety three, ninety four. New Japan runs Budokan three days a year at the end of the G one. And it was all Japan's um, it's all Japan's. They, it's basically their Kurokin. Like they still run shows at Kurokin, but it's like they'd run about as many shows in Budokan. It's ridiculous. I know. And you look at all Japan now, and again, I spoke to you about this. New all Japan have just run their. I think it's called the Royal Road Tournament, and the final between Miyahara, who is the champion and basically their ace, a fantastic wrestler, was taking. Oh, Jake Lee in a rematch from their absolutely outstanding Champions Carnival match. Wasn't quite as good, but like that's not what we're here to talk about. The point is, they, fail, they um, struggle to sell out Kurokin nowadays. I'm not joking, Chris. The turnout was... It was almost embarrassing. It was, it was floor-only seats, and there was visible empty seats. Where was and it this held? is all Japan. Off the top of my head, I can't remember. So it wasn't. It wasn't. I know it wasn't Kurokin. Um, I'll have a quick look for you now. Um, Kurokin, I'm gonna look stupid, but like, no, it was. No, it wasn't Kurokin. It was. It was a far smaller venue. So the Royal Road Tournament, night six, um, with the final, which was Jake Lee finally defeating Kanto Miyahara. Good match. Twenty four minutes. Uh, it was in Nagoya, Nagoya International Conference Hall. Oh, I'm pretty sure Stardom runs there and like does decent. Yeah, it was. Um, it says that the attendance was a smidgen over a thousand. Um, it did not That's look fun. like there was a thousand like, there. It is sad. It is really, but you know, all Japan did have like three mass exoduses. So true, true. Um, I mean, Chris, we we're giving this match a ten, aren't we? I mean, there's no way oh, yeah. we can give it to anything else. There's absolutely no argument for me giving this a ten. Would you believe me if I said it's not even my favorite? Um, 
All Japan 90s match. Well, it's weird you should mention that, actually, because I've actually read when I was doing some research on this match, um, I actually read that people prefer other Kawada Misawa matches. And I was like, how the fuck is there better <laughs> matches? People, like, when you first go into, like, the King's Road stuff, like, you just imagine it was Kabashi and Misawa who were, like, the big thing. Yeah. But, like, that sort of way, like, while we did fight a lot in our Japan, that sort of waited until Noah, really, because mm. it was Kawada and Misawa that were the massive thing. Yeah. That's the thing. It's one of those, it's like Omega versus... Akada, where like any one of them can you can say is the best one, and like for example, my favorite Omega Akada match is the G1 one. Yeah, and mine's Dominion. I, yeah, no, well, which one? Which Dominion? The second one. The second one by by yeah. a mile. No, that one like has objective is like objectively amazing. Like anyone can say any of the Kenny Omega ma- Akada matches. That's the same with Misawa and um, Kawada. It's just like yeah, I I get that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Um... I think commentary helps as well, and the commentary that Don Callis, the 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 fact everything that he added to that Dominion 2018 match was absolutely sensational. And to oh, be honest, matches wouldn't be half the matches they were for me without Callis's stuff because he actually makes Kevin Kelly good. Well, and the commentary team is actually something that I didn't mention in the Masawa and Kawada match. I know that it's in Japanese, and obviously we don't speak Japanese. Oh, but, but... it was so the, the guy was losing his voice. It was like JR at the end of the big, at the end of a WrestleMania. And how much did that make you invest even more invested, if, if possible, into this match? Yeah, no, that the, the fact that we just shout stuff like I was gonna do my Mariato impression again, but I don't have to explain what that is to my nan. <laughs> uh, however it's funny you should mention Lairato because that is possibly the greatest segue into the match that we're going to look at next now we're going to look or we're going now to the G1 Climax 24 um, from the 1st of August 2014 night 7 from Corrigan Hall uh, with an attendance of 2015. Now, this was back when, rather than doing blocks on alternate nights, they did full block matches. So there's 10 singles matches, which is, good God, to, that's hard work. To be fair, they did that during the Super Juniors and G1 this year as well. They did it during the Super Juniors. They did it for the oh, Corican shows. They didn't do that at the G1, though. They okay, did not but... do that at the G1, no. Um <laughs> So blurs together for me, sorry. It does, but of course that does mean that there were only 12 nights to the G1 Climax uh, 24. There was 19 uh, for the G1 29. But again, there was also more people in the G1 29. So. However, that's not what I'm here to discuss. Basically, there was many, many people who said for a long, long time that this was the best night of G1 wrestling. Now... You might think that that is very brave of these people. However, Chris, I mentioned earlier on the podcast, I got lost down the rabbit hole of yeah. G1. And what I meant by that was, when I realized that the match we are going to be looking at uh, was the eighth match on the card, uh, which was a block B match with AJ Styles taking on Minoru Suzuki. Um, but the semi-main event, okay, so the match after this was a block A match between Yuji Nagata and Katsuri Shibata. Mm. which I realised was next, and I thought, oh, yeah, I'll watch that. Absolutely incredible. Brutality. Absolute brutality. Um, Yuji Nagata, at this point, is, you know, close to 50, and is just, you would have no idea, you know, apart from to look at them, you would have no idea that Nagata is so much more Shibata's senior. They both go at it. And yes, you can argue that this is Nagata's game completely, beating the shit out of someone. But holy shit. Pardon? Someone younger at him than that. Exactly. Um, it was a great match, and I, I gave it nine stars. It's, it's actually funny in um, Five Pro Wrestling, just like quick, quickly in the story mode, every time your character would say something good about himself, Nagata would hit him, hit him in the back of the head and tell him not to be cocky. <laughs> Love it. I imagine that's exactly what Nagas is like in real life. However, I didn't stop there because the match that came on next was the main event. And this was the Block A match with Shinsuke Nakamura defeating Tomohiro Ishii. This now, sounds like your wet dream. Honestly, Meltzer gave um, 
So, the last four matches, Maccabe defeating Tetsuya Naito got four and a quarter stars from Meltzer. AJ Styles yeah. versus Minoru Suzuki got four and three quarter stars from Dave Meltzer. Nagata and Shibata got four and a half from Dave Meltzer. And then Nakamura taking on Ishii got four and three quarters from Meltzer. It's got a cage match rating of 9.21. And the reason that I transitioned into it is because the amount of times the commentary team shouted Lariato as Ishii (laughs) smashed Nakamura out of the air, off his run-up. There was one point where Nakamura is doing his, you know where he does that? Ah, before he goes into the Kinshasa or the Bomayes is at that point. There's one point where he's hanging onto the ropes and he's got his arm down and he's doing all this pageantry to the crowd. And Ishii just appears from nowhere and drop kicks the fuck out of him. It's brilliant. We need to watch more Ishii matches for this. Now, I will just also say this night had a match between Tenzan and Goto, which got four and a half stars. This must have been when Tenzan could still move. It had a match between Bad Luck Farley and Honma that got three and a half. <laughs> Honma carries Farley, what can I say? Apparently. And a match between Kojima and Benjamin that got three and a quarter. Now... I forgot Benjamin was in the Japan. Anyway, go on. Um, you look at that night of wrestling. Fucking hell. What a night of wrestling. And Unbelievable. It really be- is. I mean, I gave the Nagata Shibata match a nine. I gave the Nakamura Ishii match a nine. They're both really good matches that I actively encourage you to go and seek out on New Japan World because they are just that good. Um, However, they're not the matches we're actually here to look at. We are looking at the eighth match on the card, the G1 Climax Block B match with AJ Styles, who is the current at this time IWGP heavyweight champion on eight points defeat. Pardon me, defeating Minoru Suzuki, who is on six points on 16 minutes and 20 seconds with the Styles Clash. Chris, opinion, please. Remember back in our No Mercy review, where um, I think it was FOW or Fightful or something, who um, Ray, who said about RVD versus Flair, it's like oil and water mixing, not to make something beautiful, but just a mess? Yes. This was water and oil mixing to make a fucking rainbow. I agree with you, man. I agree with you. There's like a... I, on paper, this should not actually work. Like on paper, nothing about this should work, but it does, and it's beautiful. There's a moment where AJ Styles comes up, springboards off the top rope for a phenomenal forearm, and Suzuki catches him seamlessly into an armbar. It was beautiful. <laughs> and then, like, um, they brawl into the crowd, and there's an actual woman actually screaming. There's a woman genuinely fearing for AJ Styles' life. Being fucking there. So was I, and I know he lives. Exactly. You've got Suzuki putting Styles' arm through the opening in the chair and bending it upwards. And I'm sorry, I don't care who you are, your arm don't bend that way. No one answered well, Alexa Blisses does, but she's a special case. She is a very special uh, case. Also, um, some of the um, PKs in this match from Suzuki, I forgot he could kick that fucking hard. It looks like, obviously in this and the later match, he's got a lot more weight to him than he does now. Oh yeah, now he looks like... I'm not gonna. Anything I can say is offensive, so I'm not even going to. Well, let's put it this but, way: I think he looks like he's aged a bit, as you know, as he does, because that's how time works. Um, my granddad would, my granddad would look at him and go, "Need to pine him." So, <laughs> um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. The PK's fucking hell. Um, Suzuki just works, styles his arm the entire time. Um, there's a brilliant moment but, where Styles uses one of the chairs of the crowd to come up over the top and hit a phenomenal forearm, even though it's not called that. At the time in yeah, New Japan. it wasn't even like a signature move. It was just something he did. It was just something he did. And if you think, and Chris, you said this to me, and I was, you know, I wasn't skeptical, but I was like, yeah, all right. If you haven't seen AJ Styles in New Japan, and your only exposure to him is in the WWE, which mine was, um, apart from the odd TNA match, Jesus, you need to go and watch him in 
New Japan because the Between man works at such a pace. The Tanahashi matches, the Okada matches. It's amazing. They're all great. He worked here. There was a moment when Suzuki was coming off the ropes and coming full tilt at him. And mm-hmm. Styles was literally lapping him. Mm-hmm. It, was it was incredible. Like, and obviously, like, he went to WWE because it allows him to slow down, and I do respect that. He's and still like, one of the best workers, and he's probably working at 70%. It's, it's yes, only, isn't no, Dude, this is AJ at like 50. This is AJ on fucking autopilot, man. Which is incredible the fact that he can still be <laughs> WWE's best worker. Let me put it this way in the Cena matches, he's working at about 70. And they are good matches. I don't care who yeah. you are. They are like, great matches. The Rumble is a 10 out of 10 for me. But, yeah, I agree. Um, but anyway, some other great stuff. A powerbomb attempt counted um, from like a kick attempt into a fucking Styles Clash, into an ankle lock. And then we just started fucking rolling through and ankle locking each other. It was it was beautiful. And you're right, Chris. It shouldn't work because you've got Minoru Suzuki, who's, you know, quite old. Not It's like... It's like if Kurt Angle had sex with someone who would break, can also break your arm. I don't know how it's like that, but okay. Uh, <laughs> what? It's like if Kurt Angle had sex with a monster that he used to have a recurring nightmare about as a child. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to have a nightmare about that now. Yeah, so am I, mate. Um, <laughs> we had your typical interference. We had um, a Gallows and Anderson coming in to save Styles from Takamichinoku, which I thought was hilarious. That both Gallows and Anderson needed to come out to save Styles from Takamichinoku. To be fair, fair, I think it might just be the case of, right, which one of us are going to be? Yeah. We asked Takamichinoku, and then you know that bit in. in, um, It was a dream work, so I forget what it's called, but we just go, both, both, both. Yeah, both is good. I'm just. (laughs) Um, Then Killer Elite Squad appear and beat the shit out of the club, and they run off and then we continue with the match the the styles class that you talked about where it was almost a desperation styles class one armed oh. he did he did he did he did them every so often and they do look great it it worked into the story one thing i am such a fucking mark for is when an injury plays into a finish or plays into a big moment in the match Suzuki yeah. had spent so long working that arm, had spent so long with it locked in triangle holds, locked it in the, these grotesque positions on the mat with AJ making the most realistically agonizing screams. You know, he locked it in a chair for fuck's sake and made a woman scream. And the fact that he couldn't get his arm round to perform that Styles Clash was brilliant because it added to it there was story there and that's what i love and again you know it's the g1 you've got no fucking idea who's gonna win it doesn't matter if styles is the champion you have no idea who's going to win yeah except upsets happen in the g1 it's, it's pretty much how suzuki gets half his title shots well exactly um, and just i can't say enough good things we are also very aware of how much time we have left <laughs> <laughs> so if we go slightly over, it's fine. Um, but yeah, eventually AJ manages to rally, hits but Suzuki wait, with the Styles Clash it, and walks away the victor. My favorite thing in this match was when Styles um, ducked and dived away from Suzuki's punches enough to hit a Pele. And then because Styles was on the ground, Suzuki had enough time to recover and just kept beating the shit out of him. I enjoyed Suzuki's slaps that got harder and harder and harder until he just thought, you know what? Fuck it, and hit him with a stiff right hand. Brilliant. (laughs) Brilliant. Um, The only thing that I don't know if I can do is, can I give this a 10 or a 9? And I need your help with that. What are you giving it? The interference served no purpose. Absolutely no purpose whatsoever. But also it didn't drag me out of the match. No, I think it was short enough that it didn't matter. It's just what Suzuki Gun and Bullet Club do, and it's not like Tamatonga where the matches are a bit dog shit around his G1 bullshit. No, fair enough. I agree. <laughs> Honestly, I I, can't, I think I need to give this a 10. I'm fine um, with that. It's just amazing. Now, <laughs> oh my God. 
I will say that the final of the G1 was Shinsuke Nakamura, pardon me, taking on Okada. Yeah, this is the one in the dome. Yes, and you but, gave that uh, 10. In fact, we need to... I was, I was in the options at some point, I think, and I think we do need to review that one at some point because that is a great match. Okay, that's absolutely fine. But yeah, if you are, you know, if you've got a few hours free, um, I actively encourage you to find night seven of the G1 Climax um, 24 from the 1st of August. Believe it or not, I haven't seen that Ishii match, so I'm going to go watch that. <laughs> it's great. It's fantastic. Um, and again, the Shibata match and the Na- just Shibata Nagata is absolutely amazing. I am actually tempted to go and watch the Naito versus Makabe match because, you know, good Makabe is decent. This is pre um, Ingobernable as well. Uh, yes, it is. It is. Um, because. This is before. Right? This is um, the G1 before I started watching. Yeah, because who wins G125? Is that Tanahashi? Yeah, no, yeah, because um, Okada was champion and then Tana got the... Yeah, but it was basically a role reversal of the year before. Of course, because Shinsuke... <laughs> people were like, why is Shinsuke leaving New Japan Pro Wrestling? Well, you look at it, he lost the final of the G1 Climax 24 and 25. So, probably don't thought... Yeah. <laughs> hey, and, and now he's a knacker. Now he is just... Now he's just... I don't think he's shit. I just think he's stopped trying. And why would you when you're getting the paycheck he's getting? right Chris that takes us to our final match and this is another Suzuki match Um, we're talking of course about the first King of Pro Wrestling event which is actually labelled the New Japan 40th Anniversary King of Pro Wrestling uh, from 2012 the 8th of October 2012 from Ryogoku uh, with an attendance of roughly 9,000 now this card Chris we've got Mm -hmm. some really really good matches and then some Fucking bizarre matches. <laughs> <laughs> so, we opened up... This is 2012 and they're still rebuilding. Exactly. I mean, the opening six-man tag, we've got Strongman. I'd forgotten about Strongman and Muscle Orchestra. Uh, fucking hell, they were a thing. Love it. Um, Loki defeated Kotorobushi for the Junior Heavyweight Championship. That got four and a quarter stars. Um, we had... <laughs> Killer Elite Squad defeating Tenkoji for the tag titles, which I just I do not want to see ever. Uh, a singles match. This was a singles match with Yujiro Takahashi defeating Tetsuya Naito by ref's decision. I'm pretty sure this is where Naito got injured as well. It is where Naito got injured. It was, uh, He didn't get injured during this match. He was injured already, and this was to sort of write him off. Uh, and he was written off until Dominion 2013. And then he'd get a title shot. <laughs> yeah, and then fucking hell. Um, we've also got just a random tag team match between uh, Laughter 7, which is Shibata and Sakuraba, defeating Makabe and Inoue. This is the is match this that... The team of Sakuraba and Shibata just slightly scare you. The fact that they're called Laughter is ironic. If See, if Suzuki was in there, you could see it. Yeah, that would... Oh, my God. Just Oh, Jesus. Um... But this is this is the thing now. The third to last match on the card is a four star rated match by the uh, Wrestling Observer. Uh, cage match gives it eight minutes and uh, sorry eight point three one. It was an IWGP Heavyweight Title Number One Contendership match. Now, have you seen the full card for this match, Chris? Is this um, Anderson and Okada? Call fucking Anderson. Anderson was the most over Gaijin at the time, apart from Dabit. Carl, Carl fucking and- Anderson. Okay, he was actually... Re- have you seen his finals? Carl against- Anderson! Have you seen his fi- G1 final match against Okada? Chris, Carl Anderson. Carl is really good. And again, this is 2012. We didn't have an Omega on Dabit wasn't Dabit yet. Carl Anderson. Right, fucking... <laughs> Don't knock it till you've watched it, Rob. ...is in a number one contendership match for the IWGP Heavyweight Jeez. Championship. Carl Anderson is really good. Carl Anderson. He's really good. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Carl Anderson, more's the pity. Um, 
We are here next. to talk about a match that Meltzer rated match of the year. It was the first five-star match that New Japan had been given in, I believe I read somewhere, 15 years. Yeah, because New Japan, like, during the 90s, sort of, and especially during the early 2000s, really leaned into the martial arts thing, which led to some legitimate-looking matches, but not necessarily good matches. No, and again... But not. To go 15 years without getting a five-star match from Meltzer in Japan is pretty much unheard of. But the fact that this match did get it is, you know, testament to how fucking good it was. And of course... Oh, I, I listened to an old Observer Radio about this match and he was in, he was like, oh, this might be the greatest match I've ever seen at the time. I mean, we're talking about the IWGP Heavyweight Championship match with Hiroshi Tanahashi, who's the champion coming in, defeating Minoru Suzuki, who's had a fantastic episode of the Young Lion cast in 29 minutes and 22 seconds with a high fly flow. First of all, not a massive fan of Tanahashi's uh, theme music. No, I prefer the, like, I remember people didn't like the Go Ace theme, but I love it. I really like the Go Ace theme because it's the only theme I've known for Tanahashi. And just that... It reminds me, for some strange reason, of Wrestle Kingdom 12. I don't know why. It's just... I don't know. But, yeah, I'm not a massive fan of his old theme. But, good God, I am a straight man, Chris. As you... Well, I wasn't in Blackpool, but that's for another episode. Um, so you go along with the Blackpool jokes only when my nan's here. Okay. <laughs> Come on, Nana O'Brien. Come on, Nana O'Brien. Um, this Tanahashi is an absolute stud. He is a superstar. I remember when I first saw him, it was on a Ring of Honor show of all fucking places. And they were like, this man is an absolute superstar in Japan. I'm like, I, I believe so. I mean, I say this about a lot of wrestlers, but I would... Yeah, he is just the reception from the crowd is ear-splitting. And this man, he carries himself like a superstar. And again, this is Tanahashi who's had to drag New Japan kicking and screaming out of that awful, awful rut they were in in the mid-2000s. You know what it was like? It was like if Liverpool won the Championship League in Liverpool with um, John Lennon as their main striker. Right, okay. It's the Champions League. Right, okay. I'm sorry. I don't watch football. Okay. I regret the analogy, all right? No, no, I'm no. Sorry. No, I'm really proud of you. I am really, really proud that you tried a football analogy and almost got it right. I mean, it's, it is a bit like that, um, in a way. It's probably the best analogy of the night. Which isn't saying a lot, because the last one you said was, it's a bit like if Kurt Angle fucked a monster he'd have been having nightmares about. Right, I was five when I had the nightmares, right? But anyway. <laughs> um, this match, Chris. What a fucking match. You know what I love most about this match, Rob? Go on. How many near falls were there? Not a lot. None. I was just going to say, I don't think there were... There were none. Were there really none? It was all submissions. It was all selling. Wow. And we talked about Kawada earlier in the night. Suzuki's selling of the knee injury. And also, the fact that, I mean, I know that the the dragon screw, everyone sells it by spinning round like a top. Suzuki, Tanahashi no, he, hits he, the dragon oh. screw and just, he stood there and his knee jarred. And you felt <laughs> the agony. No, exactly. Like, it's very hard to feel sorry. Like, it, you, it, I feel like he could kill a gibbon by looking at it. But <laughs> probably has. <laughs> it's probably just what you have. It's how he makes lunch. But <laughs> gibbon sandwiches. Yeah, the way he makes um gibbon between fucking chewed up Joshi wrestlers. But um, the way it's like. It was so awkward. It was so staggered. He didn't sell anything nicely or safely. But at the same time, he wasn't being unsafe. It was just... It was just... Ah, I can't. I mean, in 2012, people were popping for a figure four. In fucking 2012. Yeah. And that figure four that Chris is referring to must have lasted 
for three and a half minutes. It was a long fucking figure for And you know what? I wasn't bored in it because there was a point where I was like, Suzuki's actually going to tap you. And the fact that Tanahashi yeah. had done all that work with the dragon screws, with the figure fours, with the knee bars, to Suzuki, who we now know is a submission expert, and just constantly brutalized that knee. And you genuinely felt like Suzuki was in pain. You genuinely felt like, geez, he actually done damage. And, I mean, we go we go back to the start of the match. Suzuki almost attempts to try and out-wrestle Tanahashi, which is immediately a mistake. However, arrogant, cocky, baby-faced Tanahashi makes possibly the biggest mistake by getting Minoru Suzuki in an octopus hold or an abdominal stretch and then playing the guitar on him. And I remember watching it going, oh, son, you done fucked up. (laughs) Oh, why would you do that? It's just... It was just about to say. It's like going. It's like saying to Gaff that Tessa Blanchard is overrated. But just don't do it. Just don't do it. Absolutely. I mean, he did it, and you could almost feel the entire of Rio Goku go. Oh, that is an awful decision. What? Quite- just go back and reassess your life choices, Tanner. And Suzuki fucking brutalized him, as you would expect. There are some things you just do in wrestling. You don't steal your opponent. You don't steal someone's move without asking for permission. You don't, um, you don't no sell something you were meant to sell. You don't shoot, and you don't fucking fuck about with Minoru Suzuki because he will take it to heart. He will, he will brutalize you and laugh doing it. And for portions of this match, you genuinely feared for Tanahashi. However, Tanahashi managed to rally um, after Suzuki had worked the arm, continually ripping off the tape from the elbow, really, really trying to break that arm, that elbow that clearly Tanahashi's had issues with for the entirety of his life. Um, I, In my head, Tanahashi was born with medical tape on his bicep and his elbow. Um, but Suzuki, again... I remember a tape over time. It was, it was like how you can't remember the time before Cesaro wore rock tape on his shoulder. Yeah, exactly. I mean... But like, log- logically, there was a time where that was the case. You mentioned that. I Is the best thing that happened in Wrestle Kingdom 12 not the Omega Jericho match? Um, not the phenomenal IWGP Junior Heavyweight Fatal 4 Why was the best thing that happened on Wrestle Kingdom 12 the fact that Suzuki got that fucking atrocious haircut because <sighs> that hair is absolutely abysmal I quite liked it in the sense that, to be fair when I first saw Suzuki it was like the d- peroxide blonde hair from Wrestle Kingdom but, 9 yeah it gets worse for Suzuki but um, I kind of I like it I kind of like how it's all like I can do whatever. Like, you know how on Instagram, Suzuki would just post photos of the socks he's wearing? I remember you mentioning it, yes. If you not follow him on Instagram, do it. Um, I'm genuinely scared that if I follow him on Instagram, he'll know where I live and he'll come and attack me. He is legitimately more scary man in wrestling. But, uh, yeah, no, he just posts photos of his socks. And, like, it's sort of like, well, I'm not going to... This is very strange, Minero, but I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> That's what it's sort of like here. It's sort of like, this is... It, with the hair, it's, like, it's very strange. I, I don't know why the fuck you'd have it. I think he just has it to prove that no one will fuck with him. Maybe. Maybe. Um, but even so, good God. Um, yeah. It, it's sort of like I went a bouncer at a nightclub wears pink. I don't think I've ever met a bouncer in a nightclub that wears pink. Oh, well, to be fair, I don't. I I walk up and down Sofiola Street, and normally when I'm doing that, I'm quite drunk. So, like, I might just be misremembering. <laughs> um, you're right, though, Chris. I don't. I don't think there were any false finishes. Um, and if, and if there is, I will next week. Next week, I will come on here and sing a soulful acoustic rendition of the I'm I'm an ass man theme or something. I'd I'd love that. I want you to do that anyway. <laughs> um. Tanahashi hits the first high fly flow um, onto the knee of of Suzuki, which you felt you felt the pain go through him, and that's all testament to Suzuki's selling. Um, and then the second one, Tanahashi does eventually finish him off um, after hitting him with the sling blade and hitting him with that second high fly flow. I second high because he literally bolted it up because it's like I don't know when I'm going to have enough space to do this again, so I need to do this now. Yeah, exactly. And you felt that in Tanahashi. I need to put this away now because if it goes any longer, I am not going to be able to withstand the pressure, the 
brutality Suzuki's hitting me with. Now, this match got the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Match of the Year in 2012, as it should do, and the show itself won the Wrestling Observer Show of the Year. So this is seen as a lot by a lot of people as that first sort of turning point towards, you know, a better age. It was Kingdom 7 after this one, wasn't it? Uh, so we're looking at 2012. Um, is that 7, 2013? Yeah, yes, because 15 is yeah. Uh, 9. Yeah. So that this was sort of the time when New Japan was sort of getting itself out of the doldrums, out of, you know, out of the time when you had Nakanishi as champion. Um, and, yeah, you can tell here. You can so really I'm tell. I'm going to have to review one of Nakanishi's championship matches once. They literally just want to see what it was like. Well, maybe we'll put that on the show. Maybe we'll put that on the show next week. Um, no, none. Not quite ready. <laughs> uh, so that's it, ladies and gentlemen. We've reviewed these matches. The last match, Chris, are you giving it a 10? Oh, absolutely. I don't think any wrestling is going to be quite as good after these three matches. No, I mean, we have sort of spoiled it by giving all three matches. It's it's super weird, like, because, like, of course, I've seen all these matches before. But, like, watching them, like, back to back to back, it's all like, oh, God, just, I miss all these things. They, we... Yeah, when you think that last week we had three nines and this week we've had three tens, I mean, okay, maybe we need to, uh, maybe we need to venture further afield or not or maybe, the great matches. To be fair, we've had basically just all the random new Japan so far, so I'm not putting any of those in the next call because we need some different things. Oh, please put an old all Japan match where I can just see people beating the shit out of each other. Fine, maybe, but I'm going to find some Dragon Gate, some Joshi. Like, we're, it's an executive decision. Um, we're doing some Joshi next time. I'm not hearing an argument. Okay. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of the Young Lioncast this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can, of course, follow us on Twitter and on Facebook at Young Lioncast and also at Podmania because we are doing this, of course, through Podmania, which is mine and Chris's main podcast with our friend, Dear Garth. Um, but next week, I won't be here. Uh, I'm in New York, so I'm sorry. There won't be a Young Lioncast next week unless Chris fancies doing one on his own. We will see. He probably won't. But Ooh, I, I, could, I could review a stardom show. You can review a stardom show if you wish. Um, but I won't be here, but you can subscribe to the podcast and download all of our old episodes on any podcast app. You can also go to the website, www.podmania.co.uk, to check out all of those podcasts and to check out all of the ratings of the matches that we gave and all of the ratings to the matches that we have watched in our match ratings archive. You can talk to me on Twitter at, at @realrobgoodwin and Chris, they can find you on... Well, at CandyChris97, I'm probably going to just start doing stardom shit posting. I think that's a great shout. I think you should do that. Um, tune in tomorrow, um, or on Saturday, I should say, for uh, the Podmania. I don't know what on earth you and Garth are doing on Saturday. I, I don't know what we're doing. He hasn't responded. Well, okay. We will let you know. Um, and then on Monday for another episode of our WWE 2K Universe mode. Thank you so much for listening, guys, and we'll talk to you guys again soon. Bye.